Welcome birders, this is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Bander podcast, where birders talk birding. This episode is going to be a bit different from prior episodes for a few reasons. First is that I'm on the road. Marion and I are on a road trip down the west coast where she's going to meet with her family, some members of her family, for a hundredth birthday party of an uncle. And I am going to fly out of LAX to Medellin, Colombia to visit my son Brett and to get a little birding in there. It will be my first birding in South America, and I'm pretty excited about that. Right now, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Oakhurst, California, just south of Yosemite National Park, where I got to show Marion just a taste of the natural wonders there. Just a crazy beautiful place, and in the fall, when the crowds quiet down like it was today, yesterday, boy, what a treat. It was really special. This will probably be my last episode until after I get home. I'm not sure when that will be. I'm on a loose agenda, but it'll be at least three or four weeks. So uh, if you don't hear me from me for a little bit, all's well. I'm just traveling. Because of my very loose and unpredictable schedule on this trip, uh, making time to do an episode with a guest was a bit problematic. So this will be one of my solo episodes. From time to time over the years, I've done an episode where I talk about either my personal experiences or get into a topic about birds on my own. This will be one of those episodes where I get into a specific birding topic. There are some things that a birder either seems to love or hate, seems to either dive into and thrive on the nuance and difficulty, or just blow off and not go there. An example is gull identification. I am no expert on gull identification, but I do like gulls. Uh, sometimes Ken Brown, my birding buddy who's really into gulls, and I will uh, be with our birding group and we'll be sorting through a flock of gulls and the others will just sort of wander to the back and have a little chat. Uh, adult gulls are manageable for most avid birders, but immature gulls are a bigger challenge overall. I often go uh, with birders who just love identifying the gulls in a flock to their species, their age, the possibility of hybrids and more. Others just look past these tougher immature birds and focus on the adults that are easier. Understanding molt is another example of a topic that makes some birders roll their eyes and look away, while other birders thrive on understanding the process and use it as one of the more interesting and helpful aspects of identifying and understanding birds. I'm probably a wannabe in the latter camp. Ken Brown, who taught the birding class with, uh, with the Tom Audubon for years, uh, in his last years of doing the class, spent a good chunk of the class focusing on molt. I really enjoyed those classes and have found molt to be a fascinating, frustrating, confusing, and generally enjoyable way to look at birds. It helps me wrap my, wrap my brain around the whole subject of birds sometimes. This time of year, birders just can't avoid noticing molting birds. Feathers are what make birds unique. Some, have, some other animals fly, bats for example, but only birds have feathers. Feathers are incredibly cool. Uh, the phrase light as a feather is not inaccurate. Feathers are so lightweight that birds can seem to have much more mass than they do. Recently I was listening to an ABA podcast with Nate Swick when he marveled that the common nighthawk, a bird that looks pretty big when it's in flight, has a wingspan of almost two feet, about 24 inches, weighs two ounces. This is because feathers, which are made up of keratin, which is a protein that also is like the main component of our fingernails and our toenails, is very strong and can have a considerable strength for its mass. But unlike our fingernails, which are constantly growing, a bird's feathers grow to their full size over a relatively short time and then are used until they are worn and need to be replaced. If you've seen a flock of gulls 
in mid to late summer. You'll notice that some of them, especially the birds that are just a year old, that were born the year before, have feathers that are so worn, it's amazing they can still fly. You see the, the basic structure of the feather, but the, the little uh, barbules and, and tiny bits of the feather are just worn to a frazzle. And so birds' feathers just wear out. So basically speaking, all birds have to replace all of their feathers every year. Our biggest birds sometimes replace their biggest feathers less than every year, but that's an exception. And generally speaking, every feather on a bird is replaced every year. This is a big energy intensive effort. It requires a lot of nutritional support. And different birds have different strategies for making this process happen. Finding a place where they're safe, where there's enough nutrition to replace all of the feathers. But it's the one thing that essentially every bird has to do to survive the year. If resources are low, a bird can choose not to reproduce in any given year, but it doesn't have the option to not replace its feathers. This process of growing new feathers is called a molt. Each time a bird replaces some or all of their feathers, the result is called a plumage. More on this in a minute. All birds have at least two different plumages. As a hatchling, they need to grow their first set of feathers, or they've already done it inside the egg. This first set of feathers is called the juvenile plumage. Each molt is named for the set of feathers being grown, so the molt into the juvenile plumage is called the pre-juvenile pre molt. We don't talk much about this molt, because unless we're watching a nest webcam, we just don't see it happening. Every year thereafter, all birds need to replace their feathers and grow a new basic set of feathers into what is called the basic plumage. The molt, then, is called the pre-basic molt. Any of you who grew up raising chickens may remember that every year they stop laying their eggs for a little bit and go through molt. Wild birds are the same. In the language of molt, the new set of feathers after a bird has replaced this full body molt is called their basic plumage. The process is called the pre-basic molt. If this is the only molt a species does each year, then the molt strategy is called the basic strategy. It's hard to see the little small body covering feathers grow in individually in wild birds. So in general, a lot more is understood about the molt of flight feathers in most species because it's easier to observe. By flight feathers, birds are talking about the primary, that is the outer wing flight feathers, and secondary inner wing feathers and long tail feathers. Most birds replace their body and wing covering feathers during the time their primary flight feathers are being replaced though birds have different strategies for different species. Some birds change their appearance during the year. Most often birds in temperate areas see this in our migratory songbirds when they change from a more drab basic plumage into a brighter plumage prior to breeding season. This is often called the breeding plumage, but students of molt use a term called alternate plumage for this new appearance. The alternate plumage differs from the basic plumage in that only some of the feathers are replaced. As a rule, this includes some of the head and body feathers and not the big flight feathers. So in the terminology of molt, specifically the terminology of the, Humphrey, the modified Humphrey Parks system, named for Phil Humphrey and Ken Parks, who developed this system, the second generally incomplete molt is called the pre-alternate molt, and the new set of feathers is called the alternate plumage. So now you see that birds in general have either a basic molt strategy, where they grow a full set of feathers once a year and nothing more, or they have an additional partial molt into an alternate plumage, 
This strategy is called an alternate strategy. So in general, birds have either a basic molt strategy or an alternate molt strategy. The other way birds differ in the strategy of replacing the feathers is whether the head and body feathers they acquire as a juvenile plumage are kept for the whole first year, or whether shortly after they're out of the nest, they replace some of these feathers during the time before the second year into the next pre-basic molt. Some of our North American songbirds replace many of their juvenile body feathers shortly after they fledge. If you've seen, if you've seen a newly fledged blackish spotted towhee, or a spotted odd looking fledgling dark-eyed junco, you may notice that within a few weeks you don't see towhees or juncos that look like this. They all kind of look more or less like adults. This one-time molt of some of the non-flight feathers after fledging, typically into a plumage that looks a lot like an adult, may serve to catch the bird up with its adult flock populations. It may also allow baby birds to quickly grow a set of feathers to get out of the nest and fly to a safer environment without the need to grow really strong, durable feathers that will last the whole year. Whatever the purpose has, it's called a formative plumage. So if a bird hatches, changes out a lot of its initial juvenile feathers into other feathers that make it look more like an adult usually, that's called a formative plumage. So they only get that once the first year they're born. If a bird uses that strategy of a one-time molt after fledging into an adult-like plumage, it's called the formative plumage. It's said to have a complex strategy. So birds either have a simple strategy where they grow the juvenile feathers, those feathers last till a whole year until the next year when they grow, when they molt all of the feathers into their next basic plumage, or uh, they replace some of their juvenile feathers to look more like an adult shortly after hatching, and that's called a complex strategy. See, the simpler complex. So if you're starting to nod off or thinking, who really gives a twink about this, that's okay. But it's not that hard to wrap your brain around. In this modified Humphrey Park system, birds either have a simple or a complex strategy, i.e. they keep their juvenile plumage all through the first year, that's called a simple strategy, or they quickly replace some of the juvenile feathers after fledging in a complex molt strategy. They either keep this basic set of feathers all year and have just one complete molt every year, a basic strategy, or they replace some of the non-flight feathers partway through the year into an alternate plumage and have what we call an alternate molt strategy. So there you have it. Birds have one of four basic strategies for molt, a simple basic, a complex basic, a simple alternate, or a complex alternate. So why should a birder care? Haha, <laughs> now the fun stuff. Although all birds undergo one complete molt every year, there are many nuances in the timing and locations of these molts. Knowing some of these nuances can help with bird identification and can just make birders have more fun by understanding what you're seeing. As a birder in Washington, I see and know that the huge flocks of shorebirds in spring that we see at Bottle Beach and other areas include lots of western sandpipers, least sandpipers, shortbills, dowitchers, red knots, and maybe the most abundant of all in some flocks is the dunlin in their bright red-backed and black-bellied alternate plumage. In the fall, we also see nice flocks of shorebirds in similar locations, and first we see the worn adults come through that look like birds that we see moving north but still in, still in their alternate plumage, but more worn. And then we see juveniles in bright, perfect-looking plumage, every feather brand new and showing little wear, because they just only grew those feathers a couple of four weeks ago. But we almost never see worn adult 
dunglin in alternate plumage moving through the flocks. Why do you think this is? Well, it's all about molt. Most of the Arctic breeding shorebirds leave their breeding grounds shortly after breeding and move south to their wintering grounds where they molt. Some of them stop part way and have places they molt on the way. Dunlins stay near their breeding grounds to start their molt. They gather in staging rich food areas in the far north, uh, far north of here, to finish their pre-basic molt, then they move south to their wintering grounds. Before they get to the Washington beaches where I see them, uh, and the muddy open areas, uh, they've molted out of their bright alternate plumage and are the dun-colored drab birds that we see in huge flocks all winter. Why do they have a different strategy from most other shorebirds? I think the real answer is, I don't think we know, but maybe it's because their migration is a shorter distance. Maybe by being one of the only species of shorebirds still in the breeding areas, there's enough food left there for them to have the resources to molt. Really, I don't think anyone knows, but it's fun to understand why we see alternate plumage dunlin in the spring. We see worn alternate plumage shorebirds of lots of other species in the fall, but we don't see worn alternate plumage dunlin in the fall very often. You gotta add a little comment on your eBird list if you see a dunlin in September in Washington. So understanding different molt strategies can, can help you understand what you're seeing. It can also help with challenging bird identifications. California birders know that if they see a golden plover in wing molt, that is with some of their wing feathers partly grown out, that it's almost certainly a Pacific golden plover. American golden plovers are very long distant migrants and they do their wing molt on the wintering grounds far south of the US. Some Pacific golden plovers winter on the Pacific coast and might be molting in our area. So if you see a golden plover in wing molt, it's a Pacific golden plover on the west coast. Cave swallows and cliff swallows are really look-alike species. Making identification can be really challenging, especially in flight. So if a swallow that looks like a cliff swallow is seen in the U.S. in wing molt, it's more likely a cave swallow. Cliff swallows are long-distance migrants molting far south of the United States, whereas cave swallows undergo wing molt in our area. So even if cave swallows are rare, where you, where you live, if you see a cave slash cliff swallow in molt, in wing molt, it's probably a cave swallow in the fall. Pelagic birders especially need to understand molt. They know that wing molt can really be helpful in look-alike storm petrels, and Jaegers generally undergo wing molt on the wintering grounds. So a Jaeger and wing molt in August or September off our U.S. West Coast is more likely palmer than parasitic. In storm petrels, molt status can be a real clue to tough identifications. Fish crows on the, on the mid-Atlantic coast uh, are another example. Fish crows versus American crow ID, most birders just wait to hear them, but sometimes they don't have anything to say. So, in the mid-Atlantic coast of the United States, a crow with active wing molt in September or October is likely a fish crow because American crow's wing bolt is really done by about mid-August. How do I know all this trivia? Well, it's all from page 65 of Stephen N.G. Howell's fabulous book, Molten North American Birds, one of the Peterson Reference Guide series of books. I'll put a link to this book on the, it, it, where you can buy it at Beauty of Books on the podcast notes for anyone who's interested. Uh, but there are many, many examples of why molt can help you identify birds. One more molt trivia tidbit for your memory banks. 
I know of only two North American migratory birds that undergo two complete molts every year, meaning all of their wing and flight feathers too, bobolink and Franklin skull. Why those two, you might wonder. Well, both are very long-distance migrants. They winter in the southernmost South America and breed well north in North America. Both also live in harsh environments. Bobolinks live in tall grass, both on the breeding grounds and in the winter. Probably all of their feathers get highly worn, and to make such a long migration might take a whole fresh set of flight feathers. Franklin's gulls also live in harsh environments for harsh light environments. They breed in the long Arctic summer days, and they winter in the long sunshine days in the far south on the open beaches and open areas. Maybe the extensive ultraviolet radiation is hard on their feather integrity. Must be worth the energy for them to use to replace those big flight feathers before the flights both north and south, or they're unlikely to have evolved to do that. There are innumerable other details of molt and molt strategy that keep, can keep you learning and studying for a lifetime. Still, just understanding that birds have to replace their feathers every year. The process is called molt. The name of plumage after the complete molt is the basic plumage. It's basic because every bird has to do it. It's basic to survival. And the process is called the pre-basic molt. If a species changes some of its feathers in an additional molt, that's called an alternate plumage. And the process is called the pre-alternate molt. An additional complexity in many birds, especially smaller birds, is the replacement of, of some of the juvenile feathers shortly after fledging into a formage plumage. It's, a, it's forming on a plumage almost like the adult basic plumage. And the process is called the preformative molt. This is called a complex strategy. So birds either have a simple basic, a complex basic, a simple alternate, or a complex alternate molt strategy. There you go. Now you know what a bird geek is talking about when they say something like, do you see that sandling? It's already starting its pre-alternate molt. Or you can just roll your eyes and enjoy the wonder that birds are in your own way. I hope you enjoyed this episode. So I'll be taking a bit of a break for a month or so now. I'll be traveling. Look forward to many, many more episodes with terrific guests when I get back home uh, in a bit. So until then, good birding and good day.